Thank you for tuning in to Trevor Talks Podcast, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. Today's guest is one that I grew up watching on TV with my family, and I know for a fact a ton of you did as well. From the Dukes of Hazard to Smallville to October Baby, and most recently his new film, Stand On It, he's had a career that has impacted millions over the last few decades. From the top of the Billboard charts all the way down to Trevor Talks, here is John Schneider. <laughs> That's tragically unfair to you. It's, I, it's, would say, I would say from the, from the top of the Billboard charts to finally with Trevor Talks, a career We finally got to do it. A goal reached after all this time. I know you've been working to get here for a while, so I'm, I'm thankful that you took time out of your day to make it happen. <laughs> Dude, it's like I was telling you before we started recording, it was like, this is one of those interviews that you never really map out. Like you see it and you're like, I grew up watching this guy, like all the way down from the Dukes of Hazard to Smallville. And yeah. even like my first interview we ever put out was with our friend Sherry Rigby, which you did October Baby with. Oh, yeah. And it's like, Fantastic. well, look at this. Yeah. We're finally here. We made it in a pandemic or whatever we're it. in now. And we're here doing a podcast interview, so praise God for that. I think it's great. It's yeah, just great. So I am like super curious to hear because obviously I've made it known like I love the Dukes of Hazard growing up. And so many people are still in love with it this day, including myself. I remember having the little replica car all the way down from like the little Hot Wheels one to uh remote oh, yeah. control. Like it was a big thing. And even on oh, family the vacation, big one. You like, had the Mac Daddy. You had the Mac I had Daddy. the Mac Daddy. Yeah, My crazy. mom bought it for me at Walmart. So <laughs> shout out to Linda for spending yep. 60 or $70 on that. <laughs> and we even went to Cooter's Garage in Gatlinburg. Oh, yeah. And that was always a huge thing, like getting to ride the go-karts. But never in a million years, I'd, I think I'd sit here and talk to Bo Duke about it. So this is cool. Well, well ask away. What do you want to know? <laughs> I want to know your story. Like, not even... So before Bo Duke, before you're smoking the bandit roll, where did all of this yep. start for you? Like, obviously, God's been working in you in the music scene, through acting, through your studios. But where did all this start for you? Well, I'm a storyteller. I'm a storyteller who used to go to uh, the double feature on Saturday in Mount Kisco, New York. I'm from New York. I am, in fact, a recovering Yankee. Um, <laughs> and it's a travesty what's happening to my beautiful yeah. state. Uh, right now, many states in the in the union are are uh, they'll come back, but they'll come back with work. They'll come back with people doing something about the current state of affairs. But I was um, I was one of those kids that went to the double feature every Saturday at least, um, and knew not thought not wanted. And there's a big difference. Knew that I was going to be up there. Mm-hmm. That that's what my design was. And I have a theory that when you're about seven or eight years old, you know what your design is. But uh, enemies and people who love you because they don't want you to be uh, disappointed will try to talk you out of your lofty goal. That's the worst thing you can do to anyone is try to try to talk them out of their goal. I call it friendly fire. So I knew from a very early age, and and, uh, I would say eight is the first time I did any community theater. So eight years before Duke, uh, pardon me, eight years before Smoking the Bandit, there was eight years of theater. 
and magic and playing the guitar and uh, doing hair and makeup for community theater and acting in community theater and singing. And so all that to say that from the point, you know, people love to say that Dukes of Hazard was the first thing I did. People love to say that Smokey and the Bandit was the first thing I did. I didn't really do anything in Smokey and the Bandit except lie my way onto the set successfully and wind up in the movie again because I knew I belonged there. How did you wind up on Smokey and the Bandit? Well, I was 16 years old and I heard on the radio that they were, uh, Burt Reynolds and Hal Needham were in town. At this point, I lived in Atlanta. My mother moved to, uh, she worked for IBM. She moved to Atlanta. And Trevor, I looked at every, every I still do. I look at every piece of information that kind of comes in out of, out of left field as, or right field or center field, any, anything that just kind of hits me and sticks. I've always looked at as a, a little message from God saying, Hey, pay attention to this. So when I heard on the radio that they were filming a movie called Smoking the Bandit at the fairgrounds, Lakewood Fairgrounds in downtown, just outside of downtown Atlanta, my very first thought was, John, you need to go down there and be in that movie. So I did. Now, my second thought was, John, you're supposed to be going to school. You can't skip school to go down there and try. You know, the little guy came up on my shoulder and said, this is stupid. Don't don't you can't go do that. They're going to kick you out. Besides, you should be in school anyway. Well, thankfully, this guy won and said, shut up. We're going down and we're going to be in that movie because we are supposed to be. Yeah. So uh, went down, parked, uh, was with a buddy, parked in the dirt, climbed a fence, found some guy. This is the genius of it. And I still don't know how I knew to do this. But I found a guy with a radio. You could see him from behind, walkie-talkie, tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, man, I'm sorry I'm late, but traffic on I-85 is a bear. Where's hair and makeup? <laughs> and the guy was 16. like, uh, uh, yeah, uh, right over there. So I went in. I got into hair and makeup. Um, got a breakfast sandwich. And when, when you shoot a movie, there's an inner circle called the circus. And then there's a, everybody else is out there. Well, the, the thing was, I wasn't out there. I was in there with, with, uh, with everybody. I spent the day chatting with, uh, Jackie Gleason, um, who was living at the time up near where I'm from in New York. So there was all kinds of connections or uh, I would say validations that it was a message from God that I did listen to and I did act on immediately. So my, my lesson here for people is that, that I'm not lucky. I'm, I, am, I am aware and have been from a very early age that my design is very specific to do a very specific thing. In my world, it's, it's storytelling, whether it's through a song or through a movie or through a script or through an interview. It's storytelling. And I have done it since I was eight years old. And I'm not going to stop. It keeps me 
excited. It keeps me exuberant. Um, it keeps me on track because I know that God is up to something that I am part of, not the other way around. Wow. Let yeah. me say that again. God is up to something that I am part of, not the other way around. And it's a vast difference. I don't invite God into my circumstance. I ask him what my next move is in his. Wow. What a mentality to have, too. It's like you snuck onto the set. I've done (laughs) several things like that in my venture. Not as like, obviously, it's harder to sneak on movie sets now, unfortunately. When I was 15, my mom drove me where they were shooting the Florida Georgia Line music video in uh, Monroe, Georgia. And I snuck Uh into that. I snuck into uh, backstage yeah. at a skillet concert. That's kind of where I figured out the same way you did. Like, oh, this is actually something that I can do. And I grew up in a tiny count- town called Social Circle, Georgia, which is right next to oh, Covington. I know it well. That's where the Boar's Nest is. Yep, the Boar's Nest is out there. Uh, Covington, like yep. my dad used to take me to Covington. Like this is where they used to film the Dukes of Hazard. And I don't know if that's exactly where it was done, but that's what I grew up believing. And so oh, yeah. seeing everything like firsthand there, and God can just use you. Like no matter if you're from a tiny town, like where they film these tiny town films for the big Hollywood yeah. theater, you know. Um, right. I grew up having that in my head, but I was like, you know, God, like if you want to do something, you're going to have to do it. But one thing I had to realize is I'm not just going to get like interviews like this sitting on my butt. It took a lot of work to get here. And even now you still have to work. Like you have your John Schneider studios, you're doing movies. Um, right. You started off sneaking into a movie set and now you own your own uh, studio. Like that's a huge thing and what a leap it is, but it's very important for people to know and for you to share more than anybody, like it all started somewhere. And we all have that point in time where we're at that somewhere where like you started, there's a starting point and we have to make that decision. Am I willing to be embarrassed? Quote unquote embarrassed. Am I willing to fail? And do I have the passion, determination to get up and keep going when I fall? The answer for me and obviously you were both. Yes. But when did you realize like, okay, there's no other plan B. I have to do this. And you had that mindset of it's going to happen. I just got to get out here and find the way. Oh, always. It's, it's been always. <laughs> yeah. And I know that sounds weird, but it's been always. So when I, when I read this, the, uh, uh, sides for Dukes of Hazard, I was 18 years old. I was working in a, uh, in a, uh, singing in a show called the Manhattan Yellow Pages at the Omni International Hotel in Atlanta. I had done onstage Atlanta, underground Atlanta, uh, the Academy. I'd done every bit of theater you could possibly do in Atlanta. Plus did theater in high school, plus went to summer school two years in a row so I could graduate. I'm not very B student at best, but I graduated a year early because I went to summer school two years in a row to get my senior year out of the way because that's how I felt. I felt 
I am preparing myself for the opportunity. I expect the opportunity every minute. I expect, here's another thing, put this in your hat, expect great things. So I expected great things, knew that high school was in the way, but knew I didn't want to be a high school dropout. So I did what I had to do. Went to summer school two years in a row and got out early. Um, if you were to look at my my high school uh, yearbook, my senior yearbook was actually my 11th, my junior year yearbook. I would say 95% of the things in there, the, the notes from my friends in school were, see you in the movies one day. I'll see you on television next year. See you on Broadway. Can't wait to see, you know, all of that. Oh, can't wait to hear you on the radio. So I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, what I was designed to do. And when you are doing that, it doesn't matter how hard the work is. You should expect the work to be hard. Christians who say, ah, I pray and I, I tithe and I do all this stuff and it just, God doesn't seem to hear me because it's just so hard. Well, shut up. My God, it's supposed to be hard. Yeah. Jesus didn't have it easy either, pal. Okay. So it's supposed to be tough. Because when you are tapped into your design, your godly design to do what God is doing, you are naturally going to face tremendous opposition. If you are not facing tremendous opposition, I question the very path you are on. And so should you. Yeah, that is... That's some knowledge right there, straight from the man himself. It's <laughs> it's like you look I've at... I've been called a lot of things. Oh, yeah. Oh, I saw the interview with the doctors where things could have got spicy, but they cut it, which was, I mean, you know, oh. it happens. I was like, this guy's uh, no I think holds I, barred. I, think I held my own with her. Oh, you I did? I held my you own did. with her. I wasn't... Uh, I, I wasn't uh, you know, that's the thing about if you are who you are, you know, that's easy to say, but if you are who you are, I have people now because they watch my YouTube channel or they watch Facebook and they go, oh, my gosh, it's so great that you have the courage to say the things you say. Well, it's just I don't have the intelligence not to. <laughs> yeah. I can't. I can't not say that's the New Yorker in me. I can't not say what is on my mind. And the great thing about telling the truth, your truth is that you'll never forget it. Lies, or half-truths, as some liberals will call them, who apparently believe there are acceptable levels of voter fraud. And I'm trying to think if there's an acceptable level, you know, did you cork your bat a little bit or a lot? And how many people were on base, really, when you hit a home run with your corked bat? Right. That's kind yeah. of the discussions that we're having about Arizona right now. Yeah. But um, I think you have to you have to say what is on your mind, what is on your heart, because if it is true that you are designed by God to do a very specific part of what he is doing. Um, 
then he also gave you a, a life's experience that has formulated an opinion that must be valid for someone and important for someone somewhere to hear. So what's the scripture kind of loosely about that is don't don't put your don't put your candle under the bed. Don't put your light. Don't hide your light. Yeah. Put it out there for everyone to see and be ready to face tremendous embarrassment or shame for it. Yeah, that's okay. And the funny thing about cancel culture is and not even like on a political level, like it doesn't matter what side you're on. You have one side that's like, we all need to be inclusive. We need to do this. But if you're on that side, it's unacceptable. And then the other side, it, there right, are right. things coming from it's all around. It's a 360. Disagree with you. Yeah. And I'm at this place now, like even I'm so it's, done with like, it's, it's amazing the amount of stress and disheartening information that goes into our minds just off of social media itself, like news articles, outlets spitting out misinformation. It's not even to get like way too political. It's like what is true and what is not? Because at this point you have one person telling you it's a hundred percent fact and the other telling you it's a 100% crap. And it's like, who are we supposed to believe? So at this point, like the thing that I've learned how to do is like, A, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit. Like if he's leading me somewhere, I'm going to trust it no matter what culture says about it. That's just the end of the game right. for me. And the other thing is like common sense. Like it, it, it unfortunately doesn't come very easy for most, but if you have a slight tad bit of common sense, you can see yeah. that there are things mapping out on both ends of the spectrum that don't make sense. And for us, like as believers, Christians, or even people that aren't Christians, like we have to realize like freedom is a gift that we have here in the right. United States for the most part. And if we keep allowing some of these freedoms to go away sooner or later, where is it going to end? It's not. It's just going to be more power, more right, power, no, more power, end. more power. Yeah. It's uh, give them an inch, they take a mile and all that. And I spoke about that uh, almost two years ago now when uh, the government or the, the CDC or somebody was taking away our right of, of uh, peace, peaceful assembly. Because we do an event here and all of a sudden that was going away. And then churches and shame on them. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Christians. And I'm sorry, pastors who are listening. But when you close down your church because the state said so, the message that you sent out to your congregation, every believer and every non-believer out there, is that your governor is stronger than your God. Mm. So I don't care if you had to put a tent out in your parking lot. I don't care if you had to go to jail. I've been to jail for something I believed in. Do it. But don't. It, it, it's that was an embarrassment. I thought that was an embarrassment. Mm. So anyway, if you go back and think about this, all this nonsense that's happening right now is actually a good sign. I think it means that that we are more of a threat than perhaps we were perceived before, which has put the enemy on an accelerated path uh, to do as much damage in as short a period of time as they can which to me is, is um, it shows a desperation 
And when you start ask, acting desperate, you're, you're doomed to fail. So I take all this, all this nonsense we're watching now. Uh, I do believe in asking, oh, God, okay, God, I just heard this and I heard that. I'm going to get quiet here. Show me something. I'm going to go for a walk. Great idea. I'm going to go for a walk. Help me sort through this. Uh, whether it's through a bird or a rock or the river going by or a cab, I don't know. But to help me figure this out. Yeah. And with like talking about freedom, talking about America, like the freedom is a gift. And along with freedom, like it coalesces with our faith a lot as well. And one thing that I found very intriguing about your story was your faith story because it's it's very unique. And so to kind of summarize like your whole story and your beliefs and everything, would you mind sharing your faith story on how you came to know Jesus um, and the very unlikely uh, home you ended up in for that journey? Well, I, you know, I, I, um, first and foremost, it was a little church called the church of the Valley, uh, little Brown church. I'm sorry, little Brown church. Then it became church of the Valley. Uh, it's where Ronald Reagan got married the second time. And, uh, I saw, uh, my, my, my aha moment was not the one you're talking about. My aha mm-hmm. moment was watching a little old fellow at the end of a, a prayer. The pastor would pastor Larry would invite people to kneel and uh, they would they would pray. And this little old fella was having trouble getting up. His name was Vern. And he reached up, little little old white guy, and this huge, like six foot six black man with gold. This was like in Mr. T's time, gold chains. Mm-hmm. Reached down and picked him up and then they hugged each other. You know, jolly green giant, jolly black giant, and little Vern. And I saw a, a love and respect and appreciation and something in that hug that made me go, that's unconditional love. That's what, that's what I've heard people talk about. Because before that, I hadn't seen it. I hear, you know, a lot of people talk a lot of, a lot of things, but they don't show it. So from, from that point on, my perspective changed a little bit. And it started to go on the one because as soon as the Hollywood Christian folk found out that I'd had the moment, uh, everybody gathered around me and they were, they were blessed and they were, they were trying to be nicer than Jesus. You know, they were, uh, I'm a pretty rough guy. I don't, I don't believe in hiding your scars. Okay, but I had I had maybe one or two too many (laughs) Christians with their their sweaters tied around their neck, ready to go, you know, who who don't drink, but they do drink. And and, uh, Mm -hmm. I still believe that God loves me too much for me to drink cheap whiskey, uh, which (laughs) drives some some Christians crazy. But that's okay. Um, Then I did a movie called Stagecoach. And I wound up being more than casual, just best friends with Johnny Cash. And Johnny Cash is a riddled with self-inflicted scars, uh, a lifetime that was uh, remarkable and wonderful and awful at the same time. 
uh, was loved by a, by a woman. June loved him more than she loved her next breath. And he believed in Jesus. And he didn't mind telling you he believed in Jesus. So in Johnny Cash, um, I saw the kind of Christian I wanted. To, I knew I could be. One that didn't pretend he was having a better day than, than Jesus. One who didn't gripe and complain that God must not be listening because this is hard. Uh, so I, I, I didn't become a Christian because of Johnny Cash, but I stayed one hmm. because of Johnny Cash. Um, and one thing that, that I, I think kind of sums John up was that he never forgot what it was like not to know Jesus. Wow. And, and I implore you, Christian, don't ever forget how ridiculous people sounded when they said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Never forget, unless you grew, unless you, unless you aren't this person, you know, a lot of people grew up in a, in a home that went to church, uh, but a lot of people didn't. And a lot of people looked at folks like that as being pathetic. Yeah. Can't handle reality. So you got to lean, you got to lean on this Jesus thing. Okay. That was me. Don't forget that there are people like that out there. Okay. So, uh, so I thank God for my relationship with John. John and June were wonderful people. I talk about my wife, Alicia. Uh, she knew John and June, too. She didn't live with them. She worked with them in a, on a movie called The Apostle. Uh, but uh, I tell people that, uh, that I found my June. Yeah. And, uh, and she's in the other room. We're going to be driving to Arizona here in a little, in a little while. Yeah. But, but, yeah, so that's uh, – that's – if you need to find somebody to help you remember that aha moment, ask God to send that person to you. He will. Yeah. Okay. Don't don't get into a, a a rut where you think God is not listening. Okay. But because God is always listening. But here's a here's an analogy I want to I want to give you. For some reason, I want to give you this analogy. We have, um, we're in the shed to home business. So we have people who build sheds, storage sheds, 16, really nice, but they're storage sheds, right? And you can convert them into an office or a home. So we hire people to build these sheds. They show up to work. They have every nail. They have every sheet of plywood. They have every two by four. They have every, they have everything that they need in order to do the job that we hired them to do. They are not in want of anything to do that which we hired them to do. If they wanted to come here and build their shed, they'd have to buy some stuff from me. I wouldn't give that to them. They'd have to buy some stuff from me, or I might say, Dude, go go home and build your own shed. You're here to build my shed. So that analogy for me sums up 
if you are want for tools, if, if you are doing God's work, you will not be wanting for tools of any kind. You will not be wanting for wisdom of any kind. You will not be wanting for insight of any kind or motivation of any kind. He will provide all of that for you. Everything you need in order to do, here's the one that's hard for people, God's work. Okay? And if if God's work and what you think you should be doing are this rather than this, then you're doing the wrong thing. Wow. Okay. God did not design Trevor or John or Joe or Billy or Sally to be someone who can't wait to get off work on Friday. God designs people who can't wait to get started in the morning, who can't sleep sometimes because they're so inspired who get to the end of a work day and go, ah, I didn't get, I didn't get, I mean, every time I tried to check something off on my list, I put something else on my list and I can't wait for tomorrow. That's a sign that you're on the right track. That's a sign that God is up to something that you are part of, yeah. not the other way around. Sheesh. I know for a fact, you go to sleep with ideas in your head. You've got the home building business, like the shed to home. You've got the music career. You run a studio. You still act. You're in the Tyler Perry show right now. And you also have a CBD line. You've got it all. Like you've got, we got a ton of stuff going on. And that's fascinating to me. That's really fascinating. This whole conversation, like there's a ton of, things that we could have jumped into, like, here's where you needed God in this moment and cancer scare and all this other stuff. But God gave us exactly what he wanted us to take away. Yeah. And he's blessing you where you, you are now. Quick, Trevor, I'm going to throw something quick yeah. here. Yes. Somebody out there just said, wait a minute, CBD? What's this like a pothead guy? What, what, what's up with that? When Alicia went, just long story for another time, but when Alicia was diagnosed with stage four cancer, one of the things that, that, remember I said, all of a sudden things come out of left field and I think they're hints from God. Mm-hmm. Well, all of a sudden CBD oil came into our lives. So we tried it because, you know, when somebody says you've got maybe two years to live, you'll try anything. So one of the things we tried was CBD oil. I believe that CBD oil helps to regulate your system so that everything else you can do will work better, even medication. We're not big on medication, but medication works better. Your dietary changes work better. And then this thought came into my mind, because you can rub CBD oil on as well. It's a topical ointment. In biblical times, there's only two kinds of oil, I believe, and if there's a biblical scholar out there that that can tell me different, I'd like to know different. But when they talk about anointing people's feet and heads and hair in oil, in biblical terms, I think it either had to be olive oil or hemp oil. I think those are the only two kinds of oil. We didn't have, Mazzola wasn't around, and we didn't have corn oil. So I'm thinking 
uh, because we had tremendous success. Alicia has a totally clear PET scan, totally clear CAT scan. She's doing great. She's tougher than a Waffle House steak. But one of those <laughs> things that we did was CBD oil. So because of that, we started our own, uh, our own line. We signed up with the people that we got the oil from. And, of course, because of Dukes, it's called C-Bo-D. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and it's great. So it's not, it's not a sin to use CBD oil. Telling and you that, that was such a misconception right off the bat. Like, um, I remember when CBD was still taboo, I tried it for, like, panic disorder and, like, anxiety attacks. Oh, yeah. And hundred percent helped hundred percent. I wouldn't, when I jumped back out on tour, um, that was the only way like uh, God, obviously, but he used CBD to help calm me down before I jump on stage. So it, I, I'm a fan. I, I, like you said, like, it's not a send to use CBD oil. Um, if you know, like that's just a thing. This has all been around a very long time. Very, very long time. So, folks, if you've got inflammation, you've got anxiety, you have uh, sleep issues, try it. Yeah. Try it. Uh, if you are going through cancer therapy of any kind, try it. Uh, it's not going to hurt you, and it just might, might save your life. Mm. Not saying it will, yeah. but it, it just might. It is not the weakest link in your health care. Yeah. It's there one of the go. strongest links in your health care. I promise you. Yep. All right. And hey, you I'm heard serious. it from the man himself. Hey, hey, <laughs> let me send people. If, if you've enjoyed this, go to johnschneiderstudios.com. We are totally independent. We had a hurricane destroy our store. So right now, the online store is all we've got. So johnschneiderstudios.com. Uh, is very important to me and to my smile, Alicia. Um, or you can go to uh, cineflixdod.com. Uh, I was going to type that in, but I, I don't know that I can do that and not mess. mess oh, we it. will put it all in the description below. Like we have all okay. that information too. So if you want to go and, and uh, watch some movies that we've made, there, there that is. Uh, I warn you. The language in Stand On It is exactly the same as the language in Smokey and the Bandit. So if you are so pure that you're offended by bad language, then don't watch it. <laughs> However, Christmas Cars has no bad language, uh, but some of the other ones do. <laughs> like, don't be culture shocked by John Schneider. You got your sweater tied around your neck, you know, and you hide that. your and you hide your whiskey when you're taking a picture. Don't go to uh, don't go to Cineflix. <laughs> I love that. Y'all can go to Pure Flix. How about that? But... Go to Pure Flix. That's right. Or go. Uh, yeah. I just did a movie with Reba McIntyre. It's going to be out this Christmas. Oh, wow. uh, called Christmas in Tune. Great fun. Great movie. Our movie Poker Run uh, comes out on what I call Orange Friday, which is the yeah. Friday after Thanksgiving. Uh, we do that in honor of the General Lee. Yeah. And. Uh, I think you folks are going to love it. If you love Dukes, you love Smoking the Bandit, if you enjoyed this conversation, then uh, check it out. I, I do not believe you'll be disappointed. You may be challenged. You may even get tickled every now and again. I love that so much. John, this has been this has been more fun than you could ever uh, plan to map out. I hope it's – I know it's been a fun for everyone else to listen. And God's using you in a crazy way. I'm uh, – 
Social circle. How crazy is that? Social daggum circle right there. Social daggum circle. Land <laughs> of the boar's nest. Land of yes. the boar's nest. Yes. All right, Trevor, you take care. I, uh, I look forward well. to speaking to you again one of these days. And, uh, folks, you take care. Remember, God is up to something. You're part of it. Figure out what that is and do it today. Make it happen. And thank you to New Release today for making this episode happen. John, thank you so much again. We're going to put all the links to everything that he's talked about in the description below. And we will talk to you guys next week. There's nothing in this world that he cannot do if we truly allow his love. We can do nothing without him. Anything that we do apart from him is not something that's permanent. We all need his grace. That's everybody. We are all broken people on our way to a place that we believe is, is waiting on us in heaven. You can find more of Bridges with Monica Schmelter at lifeaudio.com. In Christ, we are all one family. Amen.